0: So today as we come kind of through this miracle series, uh, I'm reminded of my very, very vivid memory from when I was a child, probably because I almost died. I was 11, and my dad took me to the Lake of the Woods up fishing, and he, we didn't have a boat, uh, so we rented this like 14 and a half foot alumicraft, and it had a little 15 horse with the handle back here, and for four days we went fishing, which was kind of a challenge for me because I didn't really like to touch fish. And I could barely do worms, but I could, and leeches were way too hard for me, so I kind of got, like, it was a great bonding time where my dad made fun of me. And, but we did catch some fish. And, um, and then one day, we were, we were fishing, I think it was day three, and all of a sudden, the skies turned really, really dark. And then they turned kind of a red, like a deep maroon red, And then they went dark again. And there's this poem, like, Red at Night, Sailors Delight, Red in the Morning, Sailors Take Warning. And what they didn't tell you is, the next stanza is, Red in the Afternoon, Get Off the Lake! And so but the, like the 6 inch waves all of a sudden became 18 inch white caps and my dad's like we better reel in now and so i'm like okay and so i'm reeling in and we're getting everything situated by the time he's cranking up the motor like these 18 inch white caps are now like 2 foot waves they're just coming over the top of the boat already and and my dad's like, you better put your rain jacket on. And so the skies get really dark, and these waves are coming, and the winds pick up. And um, so we're just diving in this little 14 foot aluminum craft, which is too small of a boat for Lake of the Woods, by the way. Um, I don't know why they make you rent these. And so we're going through the water, and my dad, I'm all of 65 pounds, and he's like, you go sit up in the front and take the gas can with you. So I'm lugging this 25 pound gas can over each one of the rows of seats until I'm in the very front of the boat. And I'm gra- grabbing the handrails, and I'm just—I'm—it was dumb. I could have just been thrown out. But the waves are coming over the top of the boat. I'm holding on to this. I'm getting drenched at every moment. We're coming through the water and just trudging through, barely making it. Plus, we don't know the lake very well, so I'm not even sure if we're going in the right direction. Um, and all of a sudden, this little 14-foot boat just comes skimming by us. And the guy—there's only one guy in the back—and I—just I, clapping back and forth. And all of a sudden, I think he's got it down because then he just starts skipping on the top of the waves where I am not making this up. The whole boat and the little propeller are coming out of the water. And I'm like, whoa, dad, let's do that. And, and all of a sudden, one, two, three, four. And on the fourth wave, the boat hit in such a way that it just went up all the way and then flipped. And all of a sudden, this gas can flies out, and a life jacket flies out, and tackle flies out, and the whole thing goes right over, and the guy goes flying. And I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. I mean, awful. <laughs> like, I mean, when you think about awesome and awful, I mean, what we really get is it was awe-filled. Like, that storm was vicious. I think the guy was okay. Somebody else came to his rescue, and we got out of there. But... Um, they're just, storms are vicious. And, and it made me realize, like, every time I've been in a storm, how fragile life is and how small I am because there's so many other things kind of going on. And you think about, like, the recent kind of tragedies in our world, uh, the 300-plus tornadoes that went through the south, um, the tsunami in Japan, the earthquake in Haiti, and we can see, um, and I think we can agree pretty easily that storms are awful. And um, it's no wonder why the ancient peoples of of history associated evil with the sea. It was was capable of producing massive destruction and just had ultimate power. And so all of the ancient cultures, everything that was with the sea was usually evil. And as we've talked about miracles um, the last few weeks, it's... Some of us are, are, are struggling with um, this kind of the thing we talked about the first week, the expectation, like, can God still work miracles? Like, when in all those tragedies, does God still have any authority? If he can do something about it, does he? And if he does do something about it or doesn't, is he, is he then good? And so we start to wonder, and our expectations sometimes get shifted, and we start to think, well, maybe God just can't do miracles anymore. Then we talked about the supernatural, and I was wrong. The first four seasons of the show were about them chasing in the car, chasing demons, and then the last three seasons were something else. So, but we did talk about the supernatural, about the unseen world, and, um, and some, of us, some of us watch Supernatural. But what we talked about, sorry for the distraction, was that angels and demons are real, and how, at least in the Bible, they are shown as real. And some of us had, ex- had experiences with the unseen realm, and, and yet in the midst of that, in the midst of angels and demons being real, that we see that there's this God in Christ who is battling, engaging, and defeating the kingdom of Satan, and so we asked the question, just last week, is Jesus powerful enough to defeat the demons in your life, and um, man, I'm thinking about our, our little community that's not so little, and it was just kind of eerie. I mentioned last week loneliness, depression, addiction, abuse, and death, and like all those things came out just in the last eight days um, with some of us here, and And family relationships um, came out, and do miracles, and families, and, and forgiveness converge, and, and might forgiveness bring uh, a reconciliation, and might reconciliation bring restoration of relationships, and so some of you are working through things like that. Another, um, some other families around here, like other things have kind of risen up, the admittance of dysfunction, or disease, or addiction, and they're being dealt with, and somebody else just graduated from Teen Challenge, which is a miracle in itself, and I know, woo! and somebody else finished college and surrendered his life to Christ, and it's like, I don't know what to do with my life and goes on a mission development center and like just gets a passion for seeing people understand who Christ is. And it's miracle after miracle. Um, sometimes it's even the, the most smallest things that we see are these huge miracles. Whether it's someone who thinks life's not worth living suddenly decides to live or somebody else saying, God, give me your eyes to see people as you see them. And they walk into church, how are you? Fine. And they just stop and they say, you want to talk about it, like boom, God's discernment comes up, and and in conversations, real conversations start to happen. Or finally, um, people who said like you work too much, or you overwork, or you overlive, or you live in such a way that doesn't, this, you know, people start bringing this to your attention. And all of a sudden, you get it. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, God, you must be telling me something, and it's it's miracles at work. And some of us wonder, like, are those just coincidences? Or might the Spirit of God be at work? Might Jesus actually have something to say, anything to say? Might he even have authority in those situations? And that's the kind of thing that we see going on in the Bible, in the book of Matthew that we're going to go today. So if you have a Bible, or you need a Bible, there's some back there, but if you have one, go to Matthew 8, because the writer that is writing this book um, is trying to say some of the same thing about Jesus' authority in situations. So in the first four chapters of Matthew, he introduces Jesus and who he is. And then in chapters five through seven, where sometimes we call it the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus goes up on a mountain and teaches. And all of a sudden, what is the refrain that comes over and over in these three chapters? Jesus was the one who taught with authority. So he's introduced He said Jesus is the one who's taught with authority. And then all of a sudden in chapters 8 and 9, Matthew smashes all these miracles into these two chapters, not because they chronologically happened this way, but because he's trying to make a point that Jesus actually now acts with authority. So if you look at the first verse of chapter 8, verse 1, it says Jesus came down the mountainside. So he's just taught or the writer wants us to, to think that, that he's just taught with authority for these three chapters. He comes down the mountain, and then he starts acting with authority. And he starts doing miracle after miracle and healing after healing in the first parts of Matthew 18. But go to verse 18, which kind of transitions us into the ones that we're going to look at and kind of dive into today. 18.18 18 says that, that he gave orders for them, after he does all these miracles, he gave orders for them to cross to the other side of the lake. So they're on the Sea of Galilee. They've come down the mountain, and he's done these miracles, and he says, now let's go over here. And so a couple more things happen, but then in verse 23, we see that Jesus got in the boat, and his disciples followed him. And then it says in verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat, kind of like in Lake of the Woods, and Jesus was sleeping. Okay, I want us to catch here. These people are in the boat, and they're in the storm, not because they did something wrong, not because they're outside of the will of God, but precisely because they're in the will of God. Jesus said, I want you to get in the boat, and they got in the boat, and all of a sudden the storm comes up. And sometimes we think that, like, when we disobey Jesus, bad things happen to us. But sometimes when we obey Jesus, the storms come up. And then some of us, like, these storms hit us, and we're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Like, as if God's super surprised by it. Like, he calls a panic meeting of the Trinity or something together and says, like, get in here, we gotta figure this out. Now, there's three things. Um, I know, isn't that a great visual? Like, God in the Godhead going, ah! God never goes, ah! He just doesn't. He never freaks out. But they're in the storm. Three things I want us to see that are about the storm. First is the storms of life, whether this storm or the stuff we go through, they're in God's providence. They're in his providence. And I I didn't say they're in his will, um, and you'll see why in a few minutes. But they're in his providence. They're under his care. He's, he's not surprised by them. They're, they're in his mind. And what I mean by that is, like I said, he's not surprised because he's, he's got over everything. So as I've been on this journey as someone who um, believes in Jesus, I keep thinking I, I learn more in the like, almost 20 years that I've tried to follow Jesus, but, um, but I keep finding out as I learn more, there's still more I don't know. And I, I learn more and there's still more I don't know. And my prayer for us is that we would do the same thing. Like We would, we would start to understand who God is and we'd realize that we can't achieve him, that we can't fully figure him out because the minute we totally figure out God, he's probably not God anymore. So there has to be some mystery but, but this, is, this is the creator of the universe that we would grow in our understanding that like he holds the universe kind of like this. Like, he just spoke it into being and he's the creator of everything we can see, but then the millions of things we can't see, the millions of things that because they're too big or they're too far away or they're too tiny that we just can't see them, that he created those things too. And he's outside of time, so things are always present to him. Um, so like God's up here and we sit on this linear timeline, kind of like an assembly line, but for God, because he's outside of it, like wherever we're at, he's present. So it could be like, hundred years from now, and he'd be present. Or it could be 1,603, I don't know why I picked that number, and he'd be present. And so, since he's always present and outside of time, he's never like, ah! He doesn't, he doesn't freak out. And, and this is important to understand. Like, he knew the storm was coming here, and he knew the storm was coming in whatever you and I are facing too. Um, and and maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, so does that make him responsible for the storms?" Um, and that's a great and big theological question, and we could like put a whole bunch of really not that you're not really smart people, you are, but we could add to the room people that have studied the Bible for years and years and years, and we could add them to the room and we could talk about it for an hour and guess what? we would not agree. It's a really difficult concept to understand that that if God knows it. Does that make Him responsible? And I think the things that we that we might be able to pull from that is, you know, sometimes when storms come into our life, it's because we make really bad decisions. Um, we do something dumb, and then we have to live through the consequence. and And God's not responsible for that. He, in His love, gave us choice. And ultimately, for God to to love us and for us to love God, there has to be the Ability or the choice to not love, to reject, and so sometimes we choose to do dumb things, and then we live through that consequence. And it doesn't make God responsible, even though He knows about it and He could change it um, in His love. He doesn't, and so sometimes it's like that. And um, my friend Wendy's going to come up in a couple minutes and and talk a little bit about her story, and so I won't go farther with that. But there's this really great story in the New Test or the Old Testament that Matthew's trying to get us to reference, and that's the story of Jonah. And in the story of Jonah, he's an Old Testament prophet, which basically means he's someone who speaks for God, and God says, Jonah, I want you to go to these people over here in the east, they're Ninevites, and they're bad, and they do bad things, and he's like, I want you to tell them you're doing bad stuff, and I want you to tell them they need to turn to me and follow God. And Jonah knows that God's merciful, and if he goes and tells them, and they change, that, that God won't bring destruction down on them, and Joseph doesn't really like that. So he's like, awesome, God. And you want me to go east? I'm going to go west. And he takes off, and he gets on a ship, and he just starts going. And guess what? A storm comes up, and he's sleeping. And look, a storm came up, and Jesus was sleeping. But in Jonah's case, the storm came up because he disobeyed. And sometimes stuff comes up in our life because we disobeyed. But with Jesus, and the disciples. It's not because they disobeyed. So sometimes they come up because we make bad decisions. Sometimes they come up like we talked about last week. They're, they're dark, demonic, ultimately from Satan, their attacks. And we need to remember that Jesus defa- defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated evil, and ultimately he defeats Satan. And yet, like we said last week, which um, we said, I said Satan is like a toothless lion and a declawed cat because Jesus has removed his power. But this week as I was facing some of the stuff with you guys, guess what? If you're still standing in front of a lion, even if he's toothless and declawed, it's still kind of scary. Like he's still a little bit powerful. And that's when we have to choose to remember, like am I going to fight this lion in my own strength or am I going to fight it in the power of Jesus? Am I going to let Jesus Fight that, no matter what the decision is. We go into that and we say, Jesus, you've taken over the kingdom of Satan. You've defeated that. You can go in and do this. And if I just trust you to make this happen, then I can walk into that without this panic mode. And maybe that's why, um, maybe that's why Jesus could could sleep. I mean, he was exhausted from the miracles that he was doing and the people that he was With, but maybe he just rested in this providence or divine care or will of God. So sometimes storms come up in our life because we make bad decisions. Sometimes storms come up in our life because of satanic attack. And sometimes storms just come up because we live in this broken, not yet restored world that Jesus changed radically on the cross. Like he started this restoration project that God had started a way long time ago. And so because of that, we know that evil is, in, in one sense, has been defeated, but in the next sense, the Bible tells us at the end of the story, all things will be made right. And so until then, we live in this sometimes very unjust world where bad things still happen and we don't get the answer to it. And that's really frustrating. And so sometimes when we don't get that answer, we become frightened or we panic or we think Jesus really just doesn't care And that's what the disciples did. If you look back at verses 24 and 25, when this furious storm comes up on the lake and the waves just go over the boat and Jesus is sleeping, verse 25 says, the disciples went and awoke him and they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, if you think about the disciples, at least four of them are fishermen. And so they've been on this lake. They know this lake. It wasn't like my dad and I, like looking at a Lake of the Woods map upside down as we're in the 14-foot Alumacraft. I mean, did we show the picture of the boat or did I skip right over that? Okay, see, we got this. This boat is probably enough to hold about 15 people. It might not be this one, but Jesus is likely in the back. And uh, um, like the uh, crew, the crew, teams, like the coxswain seat that's in the back, there's likely this seat in the back. Jesus curls up, gets on a cushion, and is just laying there. And he's asleep. But the waves are coming over. The disciples are likely rowing. Maybe they're using the sail. We don't don't get all that information. But we just get that they are freaking out. Like, it says, don't you care that we're going to drown? But what the word really means is, like, we're in the process of dying. Not like, I'm treading water on top of the water like i'm under the water and i'm thinking i have about 20 seconds worth of breath and i can't get up to the surface i mean they are like we're gonna die not just we're gonna die we're dying and so they're like saying sos god we're in trouble and you're not helping master why aren't you don't you even care now how many of you have been there Because my wife got a call two weeks ago and she's like, You know, you need to sit down. Your cousin Ashley died. And just like that, like life changed. Or you hear some news on the phone and everything changes. Or the doctors say, You know what? It's cancer. And everything changes. Or your boss comes in and says, "Um, We've just eliminated your position. Six weeks, you're done. Here's the severance we have to offer you, and all of a sudden everything changes. Or someone comes to you and says, uh, "I'm pregnant," and it's not good news, and everything changes. Or they say, "I'm pregnant," and it's good news, and everything changes. Or, or you, you have a friend who says, "Don't worry, I will keep in touch. I just got to move," and and then they don't, and it's someone you've relied on, and everything changes. And in those moments, we don't need to panic because God is not surprised. He cares, and the storms are part of his providence. They're in it. And if you've been in a storm or you're in a storm right now and you've prayed and prayed and, prayed and 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 you've prayed your eyes out and you can't even pray anymore and now you start just thinking, okay God, why don't you wake up? Why don't you do something? We've seen you do stuff before. I'm not I'm not asking for a ton. I just don't want to die. I just don't want to be in this situation. I just don't want to be drowning. And where are you if are you really here? Because if you are and you were good and you had the power, then why wouldn't you do something? And, and if you're not doing something, is it because you don't care or is it because you're not powerful enough? And, and, and if you do care and you are powerful enough, then you're just not good. Then you're just like vindictive or then you just think and think that we're toys to play with and break and that's not right. Some of us have had similar conversations with ourselves or with God. Like that. And unfortunately, Jesus doesn't answer those panicked pleas. We get that the storms are in his providence, and then we get in verse 25 and what's not said in verse 26, but I think comes out of it. The disciples went to him and woke him and said, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you afraid? And I think what he's saying and what he's not saying is, I'm here, I'm with you. And so rather than try and explain that myself, um, Wendy, my friend, is going to come up and share how God has worked in her life and her story and how um, God has been with her. We're working on it.
1: I will be shaking so bad while I talk, so that's why we're using a stand. <laughs> um, thank you for the opportunity to, just to tell you I feel like this was really God giving me the opportunity to um, to glorify him right now. Um, I started out Christian, like, right out of the chute. There were Feigles way back in history, and one guy was apparently a circuit rider that went around from town to town on horse telling people about God. So I was born into this Christian family, I was baptized, I went to, you know, confirmation, I was singing in the church choir every Sunday, and I was saving myself for marriage, everything was on track for my life. Um, unfortunately, I also experienced sexual abuse as a little girl, a family friend, and um, didn't really come to work through that until later in life. But sort of some of the circumstances about that, and then also having a dad who was a doctor and in a small community, I sort of got to hide. And I really got comfortable in hiding, even though I had this huge love for God. And I, I, wanted, I knew I wanted my life to be about him. I had seen my dad um, go off to Guatemala as a mission um, after the earthquakes in the 70s. I can't remember the year, but um, saw him do that, and he came back with pictures and stories about he, how he was helping the um, Missionaries there, and we got to be friends with their family. So I all of a sudden, at the, you know, around the age of eight or nine, had a huge desire to serve God. And I, um, at the age of 12, gave my life to him. My older sister was a strong um, Christian role model in my life, and she one time in the parking lot of Macy's said, do you want to give your life to Christ? She had been talking to me all the way from Lake City to Rochester, and I said, "Yes, yeah, so, so much. And so I prayed and asked God to, you know, come into my heart and take my life. And so even from then I could hear that song so many times in my head. You know, here am I, Lord it's me. I want to go. I see your people. I want to help them and especially have a heart for, for mission work someday. So this is me and I'm this little kid, but I kind of have some flaws and I'm going out into the world. And um, as I get to uh, leave home, I really didn't have a good um, developed sense of self because I sort of had done that hiding thing. And I had a mom who really did everything for everybody in, in her zest to really um, protect me had really controlled a lot. And so I really didn't get to flesh out a sense of self that was um, healthy. So here I am going out and I don't exactly know who I am. So I get to college and um, started to, you know, was still on track with everything, still a godly person. But then I experienced a date rape. And so now here's another flaw in this story. Hold on to your seat because it's I'm just starting, and there's a lot of stuff I'm going to tell you really quickly that is not fun to hear. But I experienced a date rape, and so that kind of made me also, that guy denied it, and when I reported it, they knew him. The person I reported it to was a professor that I cared for, and they knew him better than me, and they didn't believe me. So now I thought, gosh, they think I'm lying, and I'm just a bad person again. I'm just going to hide even more. So now I wanted to keep everybody at an arm's length. And I met a guy who was a Christian, and he was a just gorgeous man inside and out, but I pushed him away. And then at the same time, I met a guy who kept me at arm's length. He didn't go real deep. You know, it felt safer to me at the time. And he was a Christian, but he also wasn't really walking it. He was still in his party phase, which, you know, I thought he'll grow out of that. You know, we're going to have a great marriage. We end up getting married and now have um, find out that, you know, this partying thing isn't just going to go away. This is really how he kind of wanted to live his life. And so here I am, this Christian person, kind of like struggling and trying and praying, you know, God, just, just speak to him. Let's just bring us back on track. Please, God, you know, I want, I want to have this life. I want this Christian life. And, and um, it wasn't to be. Um, we'll get to that point in a minute. But uh, I found out um, that my dad had pancreatic cancer. So here's this dad who had been really, you know, in the, in the public profile, and now he's sick. And so everybody knows it, and, and our family was rocked. And everybody in the community and our family just rallied around my dad, and I just sunk further back. Um, I felt really alone. You know, my husband wasn't really there to um, support. He, he didn't really care. He, he didn't ever shed a tear over that situation. I just felt isolated. But I also knew that I didn't want... I didn't want my dad to die without seeing my kids. So here, even though I kind of knew and sensed that I wasn't in a good marriage, I started pushing for children, and so I got pregnant with twins right, out of, right off the bat. Um, found out at 22 weeks I was pregnant with twins and identical little girls. Wonderful, you know, beautiful girls. My husband was traveling a lot. 22 months later, we had another baby. That was a real surprise. And then the first person he wanted to show that baby to was the next-door neighbor lady. Five months after the baby was born, he came home and told me that our marriage was over, that he didn't love me, and that he didn't want to be married to me anymore. And about a week later, I got a call from her husband saying that um, we had something in common, and my husband had moved in next door with that lady. So It was a very painful divorce. And after almost two years of going through the court system and the battle that ensued, he was claiming I was an unfit mother and fighting for full custody. It was brutal and ugly. And literally through this whole time, I was just putting one foot in front of the other. I don't even remember lots of days or time periods during that time because I think I really believe God was just, it was the footsteps thing where he was carrying me. And it made it through that. Um, my family was still rallying around my dad, who was sick, and so I didn't have a lot of the support that I needed at the time. Um, so then, um, excuse me, I'm just going to bring this up. I've been speaking without my notes at all. I probably didn't say anything I meant to. Oh, okay, so um, during that time, I know I used to huddle in the bathroom and pray and cry out to God, you know, please answer me. Please save me. I need you. I'm literally gripping in the front of the boat, huddled down. Just, God, save me. And the answer came. The baby was five months old, and and that's what he did. You know, he came and said, I don't love you. I don't want to be with you. So um, here I am alone. I get the house. I move to another city. And um, I was really angry with God. Now, here's where I kind of like... Shake my fists at him and do the whole little tantrum deal, and I'm like, "You, you just stink! I hate you! How can you do this to me? I mean, really bad stuff to say to God, right? And and I'm like, how can you, how can you leave me like this? Um, and I reached out and I got into another relationship that wasn't, it wasn't right, it wasn't godly. Um, I ended up having a miscarriage, so then I had postpartum um, depression. And so then I went into major depression, and I ended up being hospitalized for a while. And then, um, you know, started to, started to do better slowly and with some medication and help and that kind of thing. And I had another baby, so now I have four, four kids. And then my husband and I just cannot make it work. He's got a lot of anger, and we're trying to work it out, but it's just awful. So, and I'm sorry, I know this is a really downer. It's going to get better. It really is. Um, but we did end up divorced. And so here I am today, well, back then, and I'm a mother of four. And how is this going to work, God? Um, There are a lot of storms um, still. And there were a lot of storms. But during that time, the people that I love, I started to reach out to other people. I was able to finally extend a hand out to other people, Um, bring my family back in. Yes, my dad passed away. Um, He lived eight years, which was really a miracle. Um, But um, I started to surround myself with books and tapes. And Joyce Meyer, I don't know if you've ever listened to her, but she's not exactly always a little, you know, flowery speaker. Sometimes it's the harsh truth that you need to hear. It's like pity doesn't really help. You know, it's hard for people to say that to somebody when they're down. But it's like, you know, you need the good, hard, cold truth sometimes. Like, get out of your rut and, and start you know, moving forward. And I started thanking God for every little thing that I could, like anything. And I wish I would have kept a notebook because it's amazing the prayers that he answered. And I couldn't even keep track of all the prayers that he started to answer. And as I started to pray and thank him, it is absolutely mind-blowing how the joy and the blessings started to come back to me. Um, I look back now and people, even, even today, still people say, you know, how did you, how do you how did you do that? Or how do you get through that? And it's like, yeah, I didn't, there's times when I haven't had money for weeks. I didn't know how we were going to get milk. Or my mom had to drive up from Lake City up to my place and just to help out because I had a migraine. I suffer from migraines. Or, the, or I've had two back surgeries because I've had a herniated disc. And on top of it all, it's like, do I have enough energy? I mean, I can't see the laundry room floor and everybody needs something else for school and everybody's going different directions and I got to run them all over. But how do I do that? It's like, you know what? It's so cool because I can honestly look at people and say, yeah, I can't do this alone. It's totally God. It's 150 million percent God. And I already have the chills. It's the coolest thing ever. And this is what I feel like he wants me to share with people. It's like, are you there? Are you in that storm? Because I've been in that boat. I've been in the rainstorm. I've been there when it's like totally crazy storming. And I thought, I cannot do this, God. I can't do it. I cannot do it alone. And he comes in and, and he just, I start to praise him, even though I'm upset or, or scared, I start praising him and I start putting on the praise music. And those things have power. The word has power I started posting scripture on the, on the bathroom mirror and on the, the refrigerator and stuff that built me up and lifted me up. And there is power there, and it actually makes a difference in your life. It really does. And until you, you just give it to him and, and let him take all those storms, you'll start to see it. And my life is not perfect today. I still struggle with a lot of stuff. But I know he's there, and that's all that matters to me like every day, I I wake up now with joy where I used to be just dreading another day. Um, I have joy and it's because of him. And if you give it all to him, if you give him your storms and just keep looking up to him, keep pointing back at him, even in the middle of your storms, he's going to be with you and he's going to walk with you. So don't ever, ever give up and um, this is the Reader's Digest um, version, and there's a lot more. And I would love to talk to you anytime. Or if you know somebody who's really struggling, please don't hesitate. Um, I have a strong faith, and I have a strong support system, and I really want to help other people. If you know single moms who need somebody to talk to, please let me talk to them. I would love to. I just want to help other people and protect other people. Um, because it's, it's all about God. We're here for him. We're here to point back to him. And he is the one I want to give the glory to today and every day.
0: Thanks, Wendy. Good job. Yay, God. Um, Wendy had some pretty deep points, pretty tough situations, pretty dark times where... Or she thought maybe it'd be easier to just jump out of the boat and sink. And yet, Jesus said, I am with you. Why are you afraid? And, and the reason why he says little faith isn't to belittle the disciples. He's making a connection back to a little faith versus a great faith. So if you look back at verse 5, there's this soldier, this um, centurion, this uh, Roman soldier that was over um, 100 Uh, soldiers. And he goes and he says, Lord, um, my servant is sick. Notice it's not his son. It's not his his wife. It's a servant. And he says, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, well, do you want me to come and help him? Because I I can come. And he says, no. No, you just have to say the word, and it's going to happen. He says, "I'm, I'm a soldier, and I have people over me, and I have people under me. I'm a man of authority, and I could say to this one, go there, and that one, go there, and they would go. So you just say the word Jesus and they'll be healed. And Jesus like stops the crowd and he says, I've never seen anyone in all of God's people. He says, Israel, with such great faith. Here's this guy who's a Roman soldier um, and he trusts the God that's not even his. That he could work even if, and and Jesus isn't even with him. See, the disciples had made Jesus their first call. They just didn't think he could do anything about it. That's why I think they freak out. How many of us make Jesus our first call? But then we think, oh, you can't really, like, you don't really have any authority in that situation. And see, that's where verse 26 and 27 are so important. He got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And that's why the disciples said, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, they are figuring out that Jesus has authority like they have never, ever experienced because the only being that, for the Jews that could actually have power over the sea, the ominous evil, was God himself. Psalms 107 says that God spoke and the winds rose up, and then the ships were tossed about, and the sailors cried in terror, and they reeled and they staggered and they cried out to the Lord. And verse 29, and he calmed the storm to a whisper and he stilled the waves. See, that was something that only God had the authority to do. And by Jesus doing this miracle, he's saying to the disciples, Do you get it? Like, I'm God. I have the authority. Do you trust me? Am I your first call or am I your last resort? See, I went through a lot of my twenties where where I was I was uh, someone who followed Jesus, but but when the storms of life came, I just wouldn't turn to God as my first call. He was more my last resort. I would go to my friends, or I'd say, "Guess what happened, and I'd freak out, and and. And God, in his love, said, mm, you know this person that you put too much faith in than me? <coughs> oh, this person that you put too much faith in than me? <coughs> and all of a sudden, Jesus is my first call because he's my only call. And I think some of us are in that situation where Jesus isn't our first call. But the hope is that If you look on the back of your folder, um, there's a little seed on there. See, the hope that Jesus says is it's not about great faith or tiny faith. If you just have faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, it's enough. It's enough because Jesus has authority in our lives. So maybe it's appropriate to ask in your heart of hearts is your first call. Have you actually given him all the authority? And if you have, um, then is he given all of it? Do you really believe he can do it? And if you haven't, all you have to do is cry out and say, God, I need you to do it. Um, Went a a little bit late, but there's this song that says that Jesus will never let us go. And I think it's appropriate to come and and sing a few verses of that. And as... um, As the worship team is singing that, that's my prayer, that you would just ask God, like, is there anything that I'm holding on to so tightly because I think that you don't have the authority or you're not strong enough to fix it? So let's um, just be ministered um, to by the Holy Spirit through these words.